Here we go. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today, I'm joined with Peter Lentz, a solo game dev. Welcome to the show, Peter. Hello. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Hey, so yeah, I'm Peter Lance. I have been developing games since I was around 13 years old. I specialize mostly in 3D platformers. So kind of like Mario type games, if you don't know what the term 3D platformer means. And I'm the developer of Castle on the Coast, a game that's available on Steam or any console out there. And then currently developing a game called Veil Alter Unknown, which is also a 3D platformer along the same vein, but more like sci-fi. While Castle on the Coast is more like fantasy and like kid-like. <laughs> so, yeah. My games are known for their fluid movement mechanics. So anybody's played one, they probably figured out like a level skip or something or like the first thing you notice when playing them is how responsive the controls are. So that's kind of my specialty. When you're a solo game dev, you're kind of a coder, you're a 3D artist. You're also like a writer, a designer. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of got forced into that role in life because through college, I kept on trying to develop games, like just in my free time <laughs> and like try and tailor school assignments around them. and. I think when you do that long enough, you end up just picking up like all the skills. Maybe you're not like super deep into any one of them, but like you get you have them all. Yeah. <laughs> and then my first job out of college was working at an advertising company where Castle on the Coast was eventually developed. So yeah. Now, when were you diagnosed with autism? Autism? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I have autism. That's the next thing, you know? That's why I'm on here, right? Yeah, so I was diagnosed. I actually don't remember how old I was, but I think it was like 12 or 13 or something in my teens. Perhaps maybe it was 15. I wish I knew the date, sorry. But yeah, so my parents always knew I had something. They just never told me. I think they... I'm not sure what their reasoning was, if it was like they didn't want to like make me think certain things about myself, uh, just wanted me to just grow up like normal. I'm not sure. But they but they first kind of knew something was wrong when I stopped talking as I was developing. And uh, like, why is Peter not talking? And it kind of scared them. They got a speech therapist for me named Dr. Penning. And she, I guess she was kind of uh, I don't want to say what, what she does because I'm probably going to get it wrong, but she's one of the few people who dealt with this type of thing, <laughs> like kids not talking and like neurodivergence and stuff. I, I don't know what the specialty was she was good at, but what she did was she would, her story, she would give me these story exercises growing up. So first she got me talking. And then she worked on the fact that when you have Asperger's, you have a hard time putting yourself in other people's shoes. Mm -hmm. So she would have me, and this was really challenging for me, is she would have me read a short story and rewrite the whole story from another person's point of view. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, like, and that really 
taught me to put myself in other people's shoes because that's such an important skill in communication and really kind of taught me the art of like the knowledge side of like empathy like just yeah what's it like being the other guy <laughs> like before you insult them <laughs> um, and i feel like i was gonna say maybe like the most recent stuff i feel like i've learned in life is about empathy but i don't think that's quite the right description of it but yeah early on i was taught like you have to work on empathy because <laughs> you, you won't have this naturally yeah and it also kind of taught me i think that taught me to analyze stories my parents also did this thing called movie nights so there's this book like at christian bookstores so my family's christian i'm christian as well i made made that my own and so we frequent Christian bookstores, right? Because Christians want Christian stuff. <laughs> and one of our books, one of the books that was sold, there was a book called Movie Nights. And basically, that list of movies, discussion questions. You get all your friends together. Like we're we're a bunch of homeschoolers, and we watch a movie together. It was it was fun, and then we like sat down, had discussion questions, kind of like a a small group, you know. Mm-hmm. So that always kind of taught me like also about like just analyzing stories and i think that's kind of tied into my desire to do games because i'm thinking about entertainment you know what kind of messages does it portray so it's a lot more fascinating to me that's just being a mere story i guess (laughs) yeah no the original question was who am i i think right or like when i was diagnosed with autism so yeah around 13 to 15 but that's kind of the story behind it All right yeah now, do you have ADHD um, as well i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> all right now would you consider uh, yourself self-taught yes absolutely when you're in college I think this could be said of a lot of professions i think but in game development specifically it's it's very true where you go to college and maybe maybe just the type of teachers i had but like seemed like the first year I learned a lot directly from my teachers. And then the year after that, I stopped learning. And it was through trying to build games in my free time. That's what taught me the skills I needed to get jobs. Yeah. Like that's what turned me. So why I work in, why I work with other people in the industry, it's usually as a tech artist. Like those are the skills that kind of draw people to me. And that's basically the, a person who's a support to artists getting their work, getting their 3D art into the game engine and getting it to work properly. Or like documenting the the way you get it in there and then like organizing, taking care of technical details the artists don't want to deal with. <laughs> um, and like those skills came from just trying to build games in my free time. Like how do you get a character? How do you get an animated character into a game engine? It's not very straightforward. It's very complicated. <laughs> so. Um, maybe not complicated but the process usually stuff breaks when you're trying to do it and you have to figure out what what the secret recipe is to keep it from breaking so yeah what got you into game development i always had game ideas which a lot of people could say but like unusually so where like i was telling my brother the ideas i had and he just didn't want to hear it because it's like why why are you telling me all this (laughs) And then I tried developing games on Microsoft Word. I think a friend got me into that. Uh, we just draw shapes, you know, with the shape tools. 
and I like select like a little down the screen move around the keyboard keys because mm-hmm. that's how you move shapes and layer things as such so you can make like a cave stuff like that and then a friend two different friends showed me game maker and when this i think one of them was like opened the program i was like couldn't really figure it out i was like sitting there with them like just kind of looking at it and later i was kind of like wait i know i know how it works a little bit (laughs) like i think i think i know what those mean but like what what how, how they're organizing things and then i started trying to code in game maker I think a friend sent me a demo disc of some of the games he made in it and basically just replaced the sprites for like a Pac-Man clone in mm-hmm. it. And I was like, oh, I can replace sprites too. But I started like coding things of my own in Game Maker using their like little drag and drop system. That's how you coded in Game Maker is drag and dropping symbols into a list. So that kind of taught me, you know, the basics of coding. And then when I discovered variables were a thing, my mind blew up. <laughs> <laughs> and Okay, so yeah, I always kind of had a tendency towards game development. Just natural, I guess. Roblox. So Roblox is kind of a big deal nowadays. Mm-hmm. But like, when I was growing up, my friend showed me Roblox back when like almost first came out. And so, yeah, he showed me Roblox. And that got me into... So Game Maker is 2D stuff. As soon as he got me into Roblox, now I was like, taking like boxes and stretching and pulling them into shapes and like combine a bunch so basically like legos but you could stretch the bricks and that got me thinking in 3d space and like level design like that and then what really kicked off so i was messing with that for a while and then what really kicked me off into game development proper was going to kent career tech center which is a technical school in my area and um, they have 3d animation program the graphic design program and like it program where they partially taught programming i thought the program was amazing like i latched onto it instantly graphic design you know taught me photoshop and photoshop blew my mind i wouldn't say i was like super good at it but like i liked it and and then as soon as i got into like the animation program then they started teaching me 3d art you know as kind of like my mind was opened that like this was a real career like i could do something i enjoy for a living like something i was good at something i could i was a star in, you know because you know when you're growing up you have these random interests but you don't really think of them as a career choice but it's like as soon as i got to the Kent career tech center all those interests became a career choice like just doing architectural visualization with 3d programs like that was a career possibility for me now like doing coding that's a career possibility for me (laughs) and i'd say like when i tell the story you know i usually kind of share you know god like it feels like god kind of paved the way for me with this it's like why did i end up in a technical school doing exactly the stuff i wanted to do it's it's kind of it lined up way too well like I, I feel super lucky. Like as soon as I started learning 3D animation, so something I like doing is origami. Mm. I have, actually, I have an example on my desk. Let me turn on the light real quick. Hold All on right. a second. All right. Now I can see this a little better. So I have like a little wallpaper flower here on my desk. So you can fold this out of like one square piece of paper and create shapes like this. Mm-hmm. But so I had a fascination. It's called origami. 
And I had a fascination with that growing up. And I realized when 3D modeling, like that's, you're doing a lot of stuff similar to origami. 3D artists might not agree with me on it, but like the mindset's the same. You're like taking stuff that's simple and like over time working on it, you're creating more and more complex shapes. And I was like, holy crap. Like God showed me something that's like origami. (laughs) (laughs) I can do for a living. I can make money doing this. And I was very insistent with when my parents started like shopping me around colleges, I knew I had to do something 3D related. I was like, not like I was given this. I'm I I was I'm meant to do this. I can't do anything else, like period. So they tried to make me a software engineer. <laughs> I like show their software engineering program. You like you hear about the high salaries they get. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Like <laughs> Like, they're like why you're so good at coding like this is what you do in your free time all the time i was like yeah but it has to have 3d <laughs> so <laughs> so i super insistent and got into like a 3d program which was fair estate and it's like i learned my 3d stuff there it's also there's 3d animation and game design ironically they're not very good at animation or design but they're good at like 3d art and like game programming so 3D art game programming, let's call it that. And so, yeah, that's, and then building games in my free time. And because I built games in my free time, when a friend recommended me for the advertising job, my portfolio was such that it was like obvious, like I was the right person for that. Cause I was, I turned into an indie developer and they needed an indie developer basically that worked in the unreal game engine, which I learned in college. So, and that's, yeah, my games are built in Unreal. Most indie developers are working in Unity. So because I work in Unreal, which is used more in the big boy game industry, I tend to get the big boy jobs where they're I can only brag about one sorry, I can only brag about one big boy job I've gotten, which was a as a junior tech artist. <laughs> so I was a junior. <laughs> but you know, it, yeah, that's it's kind of like when someone hires me for something or is interested in me, it's because you work in Unreal and you know how to do all the all the support stuff that no one else really tends to gravitate towards because mm-hmm. it's a step. You have to be developing games in your free time to get to the point where you understand that stuff. Yeah. So a lot of tech artists are indie developers. I think I found out. I think a lot of developers nowadays are switching over to unreal because of what happened with unity and Mm -hmm. charging them i mean that's been they kind of retconned it a little bit so i think people have calmed down on on it but sure it i'm sure it certainly helped unreal (laughs) i'm sure there's a percentage that switched yeah if they if they didn't just give up on game development entirely hopefully that wasn't the case for most people but yeah so anyways what is it like to see your game on steam there's some emotions you might not expect from that. So Castle on the Coast. So I'm one of the few developers out, indie developers out there that actually has a game that's published, like finished. So that's one thing that's hard to get done. So it's finished. It's not just a small, simple game. It's ported onto every game console out there. It's published. So like that's a big deal. That's most people don't get there. But by the time the game was done, I actually felt very bitter 
and not really happy. I felt the sensation of like, that's it, you know, like I'm trying to remember if I can like wrangle all my thoughts on this. Probably because one, your way. game was like, it's like your baby. You've nurtured- there's, there's multiple factors. So yeah, you've nurtured um, it for years and you're throwing it out there and then you're, <laughs> you're getting all this I had to do with the feedback. process. I, I'm, I'm sorry. It's such a sour answer. No. Okay. I'll tell you, let me tell you the positive stuff first. So, because there's some positive stuff, you feel confidence, right? Because mm-hmm. you got this thing done. Mm-hmm. You feel joy because my, one of the biggest joys I got from Castle on the Coast was watching streamers play it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Or like just anybody play it. And when you see their like faces light up, like as they're playing it, they're like, oh, this is actually really fun. Like, because <laughs> they weren't expecting that. They're kind of used to playing like most things they might play might not be so much fun. And then they play this, it kind of looks, you know, the graphics have this low poly look to it. So you kind of expect lower quality at first, but then we start playing it and you start seeing how everything works together. And you're like, oh, wait, this is actually fun. Like, I thought this was just for kids or something. (laughs) Um, Or if a kid plays it Mm -hmm. and maybe that kid has a sour expression out of the face. Like we took the game to DreamHack. That's the only conference we ever showed it at. Mm -hmm. But like we took it there. I remember seeing this kid who's kind of this like look on his face. He's like, like just kind of didn't seem like he might have been having the greatest day. Then we started playing Castle on the Coast. Kinda, I started to see his face light up, and that brought me a lot of joy. Seeing Steam reviews for the game, like some some Steam reviews are like, "Nah, I hate this game," but like some of them are. Those thankfully those are rare in my case. I was kind of expecting that more, but like most of the reviews are like, they love the game, you know, and seeing that makes me really happy. So those are the those are the emotions I feel. Yeah. And then like the sour stuff I think came from the game's development more. Like the game was not easy was not easy to make. And I was also going through kind of a period of life where I was feeling a lot of existential dread. And I think I think that sort of I don't think actually that now that didn't really come through in the game. I think I think um I mean, how do I explain this? Okay, so in that time of life, I just got out of college and I felt sour about college because at college, I felt like I had spent, I, I had a rough final year in college. I had a teacher I didn't really get along with. We're good. We're good now. We're good now. <laughs> and, but like, I faced a lot of like low key, like discrimination, I guess, in my own the classroom I was in not discrimination, but I, I was kind of the black sheep, I guess. Like I was the kid that had this cool capstone project, but I came across as someone who didn't want to listen to anyone and kind of a loner. I'd say the last bit was true. I was as connected with people socially, but I was, I did want to listen to feedback. I just didn't want their feedback. I wanted player feedback. Not like people nitpicking at details. So that was kind of on my head. I had a lot of bitterness towards them. There was an incident in college where I was like basically humiliated in front of the classroom. And that, you know, that kind of thing replays in your head over and over again. And you're trying to let go. So I was processing a lot of anger. And then working on the game at the advertising agency, I wasn't exactly treated the best. Like my pay was low. I didn't. 
minded at the time, but like, but like it was hard to get things done. And I felt really bitter about that. Working with the hospital. So, okay. So Castle on the Coast backstory. Hus- Castle on the Coast is developed for a children's hospital. Like they're kind of advertising agencies work with clients. The original idea was this is a thing built for arcade cabinet. You put in doctor's offices. It entertains kids and advertises Valley Children's Hospital. That was the original idea. And and then it kind of morphed into, and then like, they kind of left the picture. They stopped being a client of the advertising company. My boss really liked the game. They wanted me to just keep developing it. And so it turned into a normal game. <laughs> and then Valley Children's came back into the picture because the CEO was like, anything that entertains kids, it's like, he wants that. So he's like, we're going to sponsor this. And then, you know, we also, sorry, my headset cut out. And then like, hey, it was also worked in where like so much of the profits goes back to Valley Children's, you know, after they sponsor and everything. And, but <laughs> the hospital actually wasn't easy to work with. <laughs> um, uh, the person we worked with didn't like the game. <laughs> so, and was a very difficult person to work with. Kind of like, that's, uh, I won't name names, just. Because we're we're over it, we got past it. Everyone needs a chance to, you know, a second chance, I guess. So, but the game was also developed during COVID. So last year was on COVID, so that was affecting my health a little bit. I moved away from my parents, so it was very. I was learning the skill of we disconnected from your social network growing up. You start learning people don't come to you naturally. You have to reach out and develop habits of attending events and stuff to get to to build a network of friends. And all these things is kind of piled up. Mm-hmm. And so basically lonely and kind of scared a little bit. And kind of basically feeling like small because anybody who goes out of college is kind of a little grandiose in their vision. Of what they'll turn into and then reality kind of kicks in it turns out the world doesn't care about you (laughs) like your parents cared about you but they're the only people in the world maybe your closest friends might a little bit like they're the only people are like actively looking out for you but the world doesn't care about you so yeah i just had a lot of existential dread like basically a lot of shallow things about me were being burned off and sloughed off through that experience and I was still in the middle of it when the game released. So you kind of now you're experiencing like the reality that indie games don't. You're not you're not gonna be like the next Minecraft or no. something. You're not gonna be Toby Fox no. with Undertale. You're you're setting something out there among thousands of other indie games. I'm not sure if it's at millions yet. Maybe. I don't know. You're not competing with millions though. You're only competing with like the a percentage of that of stuff that actually had time put into it. <laughs> yeah. Um you know, reality kicks in and you start seeing how small your work is in the broader scheme of things. Most people spend their lives working a job where they're never really known for their work. As I was known a little bit for my work, but it still wasn't enough because nothing's ever enough, you know? <laughs> um, and it was important, though. It was important to feel those things. It's a complex answer, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I had a lot of things that are core to who I was in my head, 
So, you know, as a Christian, you always put Christianity as like the first thing, you know, but like, you know, I'm, I'm God's kid, you know, but I think the type of Christian I put forward in my head was I'm on a mission. I'm important. And that turns out you're not important. And, you know, guess what? God doesn't need you to get thing done. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like he doesn't need your help. Um, and you're not a good person. Like that's not, that's not people aren't good. And like, we're not just, we're not these angels that make the right decisions. We're not like the protagonists in stories. Most of the time we're those good guys and bad guys. I kind of saw, you know, with Alec Valatuti, I had regrets working with them because I felt like I took advantage of them because he worked for me for free. I had regrets about that and kind of seeing like those regrets and be like, man, if I went down, if I took this a little further, I'd be one of those people I don't respect. Like, man, like like X, Y, Z. So it's just a lot of emotions. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a little dangerous to be. Mm. Oh, sorry. When, when the, my my headset doesn't hear anything, it cuts out eventually. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think it's kind of dangerous to be not dangerous, but like, I think the healthiest thing for any developer is to experience failure first and then success. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, because the failure humbles you. I think one of the biggest things an indie developer needs to look at is you're never going to be a triple a developer. I mean, might might be, you can be one day, (laughs) but these are people who have teams of people from design to graphics, to UI, to everything, to voice acting. You'll never be an EA or a Sierra or Blizzard or any of those, but you'll be your own. Well, counterpoint, I'd say Blizzard, you know, Blizzard didn't start off big. Like there is every every company starts off a small operation and then grows unless you like have a bunch of money invested into you and you have like maybe an initial crew, but everybody starts somewhere right mm-hmm. like minecraft was indie mm-hmm. and now it's like the best-selling game in the world and has like a team supporting it now microsoft supports it <laughs> yeah well it's, it's mojang still exists mojang still exists i don't really know much about i'm kind of curious why it doesn't get updated more often but i'm not i'm not a main i'm not i don't frequent my i, have, I don't own minecraft so i just hear it doesn't get updated very often yeah. Anyways, let's talk a little bit about your game, Castle of Unclosed. Okay. Why yeah, did yeah, you yeah. choose a giraffe as the main character? Because Valley Children's Hospital has a giraffe as the mascot. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we knew we were making a game about a giraffe from the get-go. I think if I were in charge, I would have made it like a human kid or something. But I kind of liked that constraint because it's kind of interesting. I don't know, a giraffe as the main character. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the big appeal of the game is the sturpy giraffe. Like, I think that added a lot of character to the game and goofiness. Yeah. All right. I kind of invented. So I don't know if you like edit this post or whatever, but like there's a, let's bring up a picture. Hmm. George, the giraffe. Here we go. This will also go up on video as well. Okay. 
So for those of you who are watching this, listening to this on audio, make sure you come over to the video side on my YouTube channel, same name, and you'll be able to see more. All right, so here's a picture of the mascot for Valley Children's Hospital. So it's George the Giraffe. It's a guy walking around in a suit. I don't know (laughs) if he showed up recently because they kind of he kind of stopped appearing during COVID. So I don't know. I don't know how famous the mascot is right now. I don't know if they mm-hmm. he came back or not. But um, but so when I came into the into the advertising agency, we we had George the giraffe, but he was a realistic giraffe, that kind of like a Pixar slash realistic giraffe. Mm-hmm. They're they're playing around with what he would look like, and Valley Children's didn't like that. And I kind of looked at the mascot. I was like, I kind of like the proportions of this thing. So I like drew uh, when I was deciding on his final look, I kind of like designed it off the proportions of the mascot, like the thicker neck, you know, <laughs> and like has kind of stubbier look. So that's the story. Sorry. All right. Yeah. So what struggles did you have designing the game? Uh, let me think about the biggest ones. So the game went through a lot of prototyping at first. And I think the biggest struggle I had was love. Yeah, it was level design. It was level design. Level design always seems to be a hard one for me. Okay, so like, what what was wrong? What was hard about it? So initially, I designed a really hard. Was kind of like this was an arcade game. I was like, okay, it's only gonna be like one level. And when you sit in front of the arcade machine, you can like explore this level until you die or something. <laughs> Or get knocked out to make it kid friendly. And um, I made this like forest. And if you fall off the ledge, um, you just instantly die. It's like reset back to a position. If, and then I had this giant chicken flying around the forest <laughs> that shoots eggs at you. <laughs> I was like, kind of like a dragon, but as a ch- giant chicken. I thought it was funny. <laughs> and then I made it so hard that my boss's kid played the game because he was kind of like the beta tester. My boss's brought his kid into work all the time he cried while playing it <laughs> thought that was that's probably a funny story just i made a game so hard you made a kid cry <laughs> and i was like okay well, I'm, I'm gonna make this easier so i made the level design easier so my my design philosophy was okay this has to be if you fall down you don't you don't reset or anything you just fall to a different area of the level that's also interesting so that was kind of my design philosophy there. So I designed like this open world area that featured a castle in the center, like kind of a plane surrounding it, and like all these interesting locations you can explore. And it was fun, except it took a long time to walk to places. And also I was concerned about optimization, so making the game run smoothly. So I spent like a month or two on that, maybe two months, I can't remember. And then I just had to scrap the entire thing. So that was a big, like, dead end, you know? And then we decided, like, me and my boss were talking, because he just talks me through stuff. I make most of the decisions, but he just talks me through it. The next thought was, like, okay, like, we squeeze things together so that you don't have the problem of, like, uninteresting areas. And it's kind of like, we still have the castle. Like, you have the front of the castle. But you walk in, it's kind of like a room. And you explore the room. And you find a way to unlock the next room. And so like each area of the castle is just this very contained area that's interesting to explore. 
almost, there's like puzzles to solve. So it's almost like an escape room in a sense where you need to find an object to get to the next level. Yeah, except kind of a playful escape room where you're jumping and stuff. Yeah, because <laughs> it's always a platformer from the beginning. Yeah. And then it's kind of grew from there. Like just the idea of keeping things more contained is kind of how the game turned into what it is now, where it's a very tight experience. Yeah. There's no, the game never wastes your time. <laughs> and so, yeah, level design was the hardest part. That was the hardest part of the process right. because it took so much iteration. Like, there's so many, so much scrapped content in the game from trying to, a lot of game development is developing a lot of stuff and then scrapping the stuff that sucked and only keeping the stuff that worked. Yeah. And that's why iteration is so important and why, like, I think, you play a game that isn't fun and you play like there's like parts of the game that are just a drag you know a slog mm-hmm. i think that's a game that didn't get iterated enough right yeah now what advice would you give to those who have autism who want to get into game development not sure <laughs> i have advice for autistic people in general i think the worst thing it could do to you is give you an excuse not to try like that, that's the worst yeah that's the worst thing autism can do to anybody is like it gives you a reason not to not to like try things mm-hmm. like try and get a job or like try and live on your own try and research things because learning game development is it's not something you do in a year or something and then you get a job it's something you kind of the way I get, you know, the way I've gotten my work is by just attempting to make games over and over again and banging my head against the wall and it doesn't work. But then like something stuff does work. I get better at it slowly. It's a gradual process. But if I was telling myself I can't do it the whole time, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. So like, and, and a lot of people in game development have autism, I've heard. And I think that's because it requires so much focus. Because when you're autistic, you tend like at least Asperger's. I don't know how. I don't know much about my own disorder. I have Asperger's. It's high functioning Asperger's, and kind of a common theme in Asperger's is people get obsessed about something, some particular subject, and they know everything there is about it. And I think that really plays into my love for game development. I know like everything about games. I'm analyzing them constantly. Like even when just playing them, I'm like asking myself, why do I not like this? Why do I like this? Um, you would consider that how does the balance work? You would consider that you're hyper focused. Yeah, like I was playing Overwatch two recently. I kind of set myself a question that everybody else is asking: Why are the, some of the heroes locked away? <laughs> like, um, and it's kind of like to give all the dynamics of it. Uh, I was like, yeah, it's like forcing me to play a certain class when maybe I want to play the other classes. Man, this really affects my experience because. When we play Overwatch 2, you want to experience the new stuff the game has from Overwatch 1, but all the new characters are locked away. So there's not that, I don't have that initial opening sense of euphoria from playing the new one. So, like, that's this game's going to drop me a lot easier. And ultimately, they'll lose a potential to monetize me, <laughs> like, for playing their game. So I'm thinking about it that way instead of like the anger that comes from feeling. Like, you know, the characters are locked away. It's more like, how do I practically, what are the practicalities of this? Yeah. How could they have made this game better? How, could, how would I change the UI to reflect that? How would I monetize things differently? 
yeah, stuff like that. More of the changes to the balance that they did. But yeah. All right. Now, if also like stuff nobody cares about, like how's art art art's implemented? <laughs> like I kind of notice patterns. Yeah. No. Like my games don't use baked textures a lot of times. What I mean by that is a lot of 3D models in games that are hyper realistic. That what they'll do is they'll create a high poly version of the model and then a low poly version on top, and then bake the detail. What's called a normal map that fools the lighting, and to make it look higher detail than it is, uh, and they use the low poly version of the model. And I don't like the look of that because it makes things look kind of janky because you start seeing the pixelation in the normal map. It just kind of ruins the immersion for me. So I like to make my games not use that. And like just the detail that there is the detail that's there, period. <laughs> so that's why I lean towards low poly art styles or like low but high, which is like kind of like Vale's art style. Vale has a lot more polys in it. All right. So. Yeah. Now, if someone wanted to get into game design, what yeah. engine would you suggest they use? I don't know. <laughs> Godot, Unity, and Unreal are all good for their own reasons. So, Unity, Unity is a lot better of experience to code in. At least back from when I used it, which was like years ago, six years ago or something, or seven. So I don't know if this is still true or not, but like. I remember my experience coding in Unity was very straightforward and easy. Like C Sharp is a very clean looking language and you know, they're using it for as a scripting language in Unity and just type things as like very bare bones and like it allows you to do literally anything you wanted to. There's no systems in place in Unity doing things for you or attempting to that get in your way. And I really liked that experience in coding in Unity. Mm-hmm. From my coded in Godot, I think the same is true there. Uh, as soon as you get into Unreal, you have a better engine and it has a lot more tools in it. And level design is far easier in it. Making materials is far easier, but the coding experience isn't as good because there's systems in place that get in your way a lot of times. So the biggest one is player input. You can't just put a function into your blueprint that listens for player input. Like a player controller has to possess that blueprint for it to hear it. It can only possess one blueprint at a time. Uh, Stuff like that. That's just kind of like a dumb idea. Like they shouldn't have implemented it this way. (laughs) Gets in your way. So you end up making workarounds and then you can start doing the coding you want it to do. So like my games reroute all the input like through one blueprint or like a handful of them. And they just broadcast it to the rest of the game so I don't have to deal with that input nonsense. <laughs> yeah. So, so you and Godot are better for learning coding straight up, I think. But Unreal has blueprints, and blueprints make coding a lot more understandable for someone starting off. So if you're struggling with the concept of coding, you know, Unreal might be a better option because now you can see it as a flow chart and be like, oh, we hit an if statement. It flows two directions, but not both. Yeah. No. Would you? And it happens in order. Right. Would <laughs> Sorry, you suggest go. graphical over text coding? Or would you suggest someone learn a programming language before they even get into like learning graphical coding? Uh, I'm going to lean towards text because just to get over the fear of it but 
I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. I think I'd have to be uh, someone who's used to teaching kids mm. to understand the answer to that. Like just experiencing like, do kids, do they get stuck in the graphical program or is this a good jump pad? You know? So right. I, I'm I, as a professional that now knows how to code. I prefer graphical coding because I'm not dealing with the syntax. The syntax will never cause me problems. Right. So it feels like that makes my projects more stable to work on, like easier. And then like, also this is kind of a nuanced thing, but these types of nuances are a big deal for me when developing is that as my code gets more complicated, I can see the complexity happen on the graph. I can see the code getting jankier and that forces me to organize it. And when I'm forced to organize it, my game gets easier to work on down the line instead of it being like this pile of problems building up that was maybe hidden because it was in a text document that I was used to scrolling through over and over again. Let's talk a little bit about Castle on the Coast. You have apparently have voice actors in it. Yeah. What was the process that you went through to get the, the actors? Okay. So the actors were both people from the office I was working in. So the game was developed in an advertising agency and we had a sound booth because we do voiceovers for commercials. And I was kind of like grabbed people. I was like, here, can you voice this character for me? <laughs> like set up a time, let's do it. And then they'll do it. This came in. It only took them like 20, like 30 minutes at a time, maybe at most. So that was how I got some of the voices filled, but the game features a lot of children and so I needed like younger voices and also just more variety. And so my sound designer, Alec Valatuti. So I'm, I'm kind of a solo developer with an asterisk. A lot of times I don't handle the audio in my games. So I worked with a sound designer and he took me to his college, Kendall College of Art and Design. And we just, we kind of like, he put out a pamphlet saying we were going to be there. And then I like bought some cookies and like printed out scripts for every single character in the game like really organized them i think i even color coded them i can't remember (laughs) i put like a picture of each character on the script so like people could see the character they're going to voice and then we just took volunteers so like a kid would just walk in or like with their friends and they just wanted to like voice a character for fun or because they're interested in it and i had all the scripts on the table they just kind of like looked through them as i listened to them talk I would be like, hey, can I use you for this character? Because I was very like insistent on using people's natural voice. And because I just wanted the characters to sound like regular people. I was very I really wanted regular sounding people. And but like with the all the emotions that come with a normal person. So yeah, that's so I just record them real quick and then I kept their email address so I could like contact them again if I need more voiceover work later and also to send them the key of the game to say thank you. So yeah. All right. Now, would you say after designing castles of the coast that designing veil was a little bit more easier? Nah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, well, okay. Let me, no, I think it is. I think it is. Veil's more ambitious. Uh, So that's why it's not easier, but like I wouldn't have been able to make a veil if I had made castle on the coast. <laughs> yeah. All right. So 
with Castle on the Coast, like when I was talking about the level design, one thing I struggled with was how do I design levels? And Castle on the Coast, I really struggled with that. I was like trying to draw floor plans and stuff. And then through Castle on the Coast, I learned the best way to design a level was to work in the game engine itself and just block out a row obstacles and then like glue them together into a path and then like bend the path around. And that's kind of like how I designed the level. It's like very organic and not planned out usually ahead of time too much. And so like I kind of took that thinking, that experimental thinking, you know, and brought it back into Veil. So I didn't waste as much time in Veil trying to draw things out and be think I had to put everything on down on paper right away because you can't. <laughs> okay. Now we get to the part of the show we we learn about you in Jericho. Okay. Everyone loved this part <laughs> of the show. So let's start off with where right. did you grow up? I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. All right. Yeah. So that's the east side of right east no west side of Michigan. <laughs> okay. What motivates you, inspires you, and drives you? trying to think of another accurate answer to this because i think about this a lot i think i the cheesy answer is i just kind of believe i was like everybody's kind of born with skills you know mm-hmm. like something they're good at or maybe they don't have as many and it kind of evolves into a different type of thing that they're going to do with their life as a result but like i know personally i was built with the ability like I was drawn to game development because I'm a certain type of person and only this type of person can make the type of stuff you see in games, I guess. I feel like there's like things, ideas I got, no one else is going to have them in the world because everybody's unique. So like, I think Veil Alter Unknown is kind of like, there's a certain type of gameplay and a certain type of story that only I will tell. And that really drives me to make that game. Okay. And also just like knowing there's people out there. Like when we play when we, when we, when I put out Castle on the Coast, I saw people stays brightened up from playing it. And they're like, they'd send me a message being like, wow, this is you know, your game was amazing. Like I really wanted to tell you this. Like I, I had a good time. Like my kid enjoyed this, or like this is my girl's favorite game or something. And when you hear stories like that, you kind of see that you're you're influencing the world in a positive way. So I think that really drives me because it's like there's I'm the only person who's going to make a certain type of thing for certain people. Yeah. Okay. And then I think the other aspect, something that kind of I was talking about existential dread working at Castle on the Coast. What pulled me through that was like my faith in God, really. The reason it pulled me through I'll explain the mechanics of it a little bit instead of just being like Jesus or something. Like, I want, I want, I want to explain this in a way that makes sense to the average person who might not be on the same page as me. Like, I, when you, when you kind of emptied out of all, all the things that you thought made up who you were, like you thought you were a good person, you kind of realize no, everybody's kind of at this baseline, and you make decisions that turn you into a good person or a bad person and you're going to be pushed like you're going to encounter challenges that will ask you to make (laughs) like they're they're not going to be they're not going to be easy decisions you know so i was saying like i'm not a good person i've made bad decisions in life i've done unethical things before 
like maybe it wasn't obvious but i did but i know in my heart you know i'm not a good person anymore when you're robbed of a mission when you, when you kind of realize you're not james bond you're not like someone who has a mission around the outside of life when yeah you're not a good person don't have a mission you're not a big boy you're not <laughs> yeah when you're robbed of all these things the only thing really left is kind of god so i either would fall through and become this miserable person that didn't have who's just kind of bitter i felt like god was sort of that person that like when you look at what he created and stuff you you see something that has order and basically like a, a compass you know mm-hmm. and we have that compass even when we don't feel like it you're gonna walk towards that because you're like i want that i don't know why you, this this thing has something i don't i want like i want to be around that thing and that thing asks you to make good decisions like asks you to be the best person version of yourself and that pushes me i think that you know that's that's where the desire to make people happy comes from because you know i'm a selfish human being <laughs> like i want to make myself happy like oh one second that's it cut out again yeah but like you know through that through trying to chase down this thing you kind of start seeing the happiness comes from other people's happiness like you know, people are social creatures. We weren't meant to be alone. So. All right. Yeah. What's the best compliment you've ever gotten? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think it's probably going to be related to Castle on the Coast, people playing that game and then telling me they had a fun time. One guy was like, I came into this going to be like really critical of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't have like anything to be critical of. Like I, I had a fun time. Like I had a fun time playing this game. This is a legit fun game. Right. <laughs> and that was a big compliment when people say like, one kid told me he wanted my portfolio. He wanted his portfolio to look like mine, like as an artist. And you know, I often have like a little bit of doubt of, of myself as an artist. So hearing that was a big deal for me. Right. What's your biggest failure and what did you learn from that experience? I feel like if I arrive at my biggest failure, it's going to end up being something I don't want to talk about. <laughs> um, let me think. Or something like just dark. Like I, I'm not somebody with like big skeletons in my closet or anything, but I think I'm not sure what my biggest failure is. Sorry. No. <laughs> We'll go on to. I can list off a number of failures. <laughs> um, like, one of my biggest failures. All right. Tell yeah. me about like there's three influential just different flavors of failures. Right. Tell me about three influential people in your life and how they impacted you. Oh, okay. Hmm. I won't list God as one of them. We already talked about that. So let's th- think about other three people. Hmm. Would that be the top three? I think I better just start listing people. So, how about Scene Marais? So, that's a good developer in No Man's Sky. Mm-hmm. Or the owner of the company that made No Man's Sky, I should say. But kind of made it too. <laughs> you call him a developer. I really looked up to him because 
he was so passionate about his work, you know, when he was developing the game. Mm-hmm. And I think just the showmanship a little bit. So he doesn't actually interview very well. You kind of see that, like, if you like to <laughs> watch the interviews with him, lead up to the game. Well, the controversy around it, like, all these features missing, I was kind of like, I, I know what happened. Like, <laughs> um, and, but like, he was so passionate about the game. And in college, that really drove me. Like, I was kind of like, I want to be on fire like that. And then when the game came out and it was the PR disaster, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Like, where it didn't have multiplayer, didn't have all these features they talked about. You know, his response wasn't, his response wasn't to blame other people. His response wasn't to just send out a PR message, kind of explaining it away, or just giving a simple apology. His response was to buckle down and work on the game. And, and I really respected that. So I think that left a mark, you know. And Richard Vandermeer, he was my mentor at the Kent Career Tech Center. He's the first person who told me, like, uh, I kicked butt with my work. And as soon as, like, he told me that, that kind of fueled me, maybe fueled my ego, but, like, you need confidence. And, you know, people people need the humility, but they also need the confidence. So he gave me the confidence and showed me I was actually good at something. And when you're a kid, you know, you really need that. And he talked about the work he did at Marvel. So uh, his background was like VFX work for Marvel. He's talked about something about doing Iron Man suit, but I think I'm not sure if he's the model or the Iron Man suit or if he did like special effects relating to it. So you'll have to ask him to get the straight story. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he fueled me with confidence. Seem Ray kind of taught me about work ethic, I think. And like not, you know, when you're a public, yeah. This, I, I'm really drawn to public figures. So Seam Ray is a public figure. And he faced a lot of oppression, you know, like an oppressive environment, a PR nightmare. And he came, he pulled through. I really like listening to public figures that are like that because they're the people that actually did something that was even PR worthy to begin with. And usually they're like really stubborn on some kind of point that matters a lot to them so i'm not saying like everybody's let's see i really like elon musk's like work ethic the fact that he has a dream to go to mars as a person you know after he puts out me in twitter posts and stuff but you know he's still i still listen to the guy and like you know he puts he he puts his dream above money like he doesn't really take care of himself a ton. It seems like mm-hmm. he just is constantly chasing after a dream. Right. Listen to Jeff Bezos recently in an interview, and I was like, "Holy crap! This is this person knows how to manage people and make them feel important, you know, and like actually get voices out there, like in his team." So I look at this is more than three people. <laughs> sorry, All right, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos aren't on the list. All right. They're not the top three. Sorry. Okay. So, what makes you feel inspired or like your best self? My answer is stupid. No, it's not stupid, but like it's it's very very cheesy by itself. But like the Bible. <laughs> like, okay. 
Let, let me explain why. The Bible is a book about people that it's a book of wisdom. So that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think there's multiple books of wisdom out there probably, but for some reason the Bible has very clear wisdom in it. That's realistic. Like it takes into account people's nature, like the tendencies we have and tells you how to navigate those tendencies. And so I read the Bible there's something yeah something happens there and then like it's also a story about real people it could be like i know there's people out there who will debate it so we'll just say they're people i view them as real but the the nonetheless the stories are people that actually make mistakes Mm. they have good periods of life bad periods of life and it's talking about their walk with god or their walk without them and the results of it the consequences you know right right finish this sentence i'm at my best when and through those stories my often that's when through those stories you often like start asking the harder questions i think right and that's when you ask the hard questions i think that's when you start becoming your best self all right finish this sentence i'm at my best when (laughs) sorry i'm trying to think about this having fun okay (laughs) <laughs> yeah if, having fun if you can yeah if you can turn back time and talk to your 18 year old mm-hmm. self what would you tell yeah. him about where you are now in life i think i'd tell him about the existential dread i went through i think i'd tell him about like <laughs> i'd probably tell him not to be cocky because <laughs> you know all that stuff i was talking about was the result of pride those things i've said to people like that probably put them down, you know. I was looking at their work while well, I was working at the advertising agency, and I was kind of like, "Man, that was a that was a dick thing to say." I was kind of like, I, "I don't think this work is very good." Like I just said that without explanation. All right, you should say things like that. Like you need to, if you're gonna tell somebody their work isn't good, you you better. It's it's better to say your favorite thing about their work and your least favorite thing. And like explain why. If you can't explain why, it probably means you don't appreciate their job enough yet. Yeah. If you so can, if I, I tell myself to be more humble. Right. Let's let's keep it at that. Yeah. Right. If you can have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? A billboard? Mm-hmm. Oh, like on the street. Yeah. Oh, can I make it a YouTube video or it something? Advertisement. Okay. Because on a, on the billboard. I don't like billboards <laughs> because they make people crash mm. or like, well, that they don't make me, I don't know. I don't know what the statistics are, but like, I know I'm distracted. <laughs> like, I don't want to advertise my stuff there. Okay. Well, let's say they were safe. All right, let's, let's assume that. And I didn't, I didn't mind them. See, I'm kind of thinking about like a product or a service. I don't <laughs> advertise <laughs> because I find I'm at my best self. I'm going to put that question up again. I find I'm at my best self when I'm not shoving things in people's faces, like moral stances mm-hmm. or opinions. I, I am here because you're asking me deep questions. But when I talk to people nowadays, I think one of the things I learned through Castle on the Coast and like getting over the emotions I felt and like learning from them was my voice is at its strongest. Like, and when people actually listen to me 
is when I don't have something I'm selling them. Like I don't have an agenda with them. Owl City gave some advice to artists. Like he was asked, like, what's a piece of advice you give to artists? He says you have to have nothing to prove. And what I got out of that is you can't, you don't, you don't want to be anxious to like make people like, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm not anxious to make people Christians. Maybe, maybe I should be. I don't know. Like evangelists might say otherwise, but like I'm at my best when, when I just share my life, be real with it. And, and when you do that, people tend to listen. People don't listen when you're trying to like build this narrative out of your life. People don't really listen when you're like super obsessed over one topic. Like, let's say I was into climate change. I don't think people would really listen to me if I try and like tie everything about my life back to climate change. Whether it's important or not, it doesn't matter. People won't listen because I have an agenda now. But like, I was talking about my life and be real with it. Might might lead to doing something about climate change or like being a Christian or whatever. <laughs> what what's real? Like what's true? Really true? It will come out in your life, you know, if you're real with it. So, right. and that that's the stuff you actually want to communicate. So just be real. Don't don't try and pad things. Don't try and build narratives out of things. Yeah. Okay. What do you think the world will look like in five years from now? Uh, about the same. <laughs> All right. Like the there there's always gonna be wars. There's always gonna be a new piece of technology. Some people suffering, some people not. All right, let me like let me, like spicier one. I think the only thing I'm really gonna bring up is AI. I feel like it's a boring answer. I don't think AI is gonna be what people think it is. Like I think we're we're talking about like the singularity and stuff. We talk about like people's jobs getting replaced, but the reality is technology tends to create different types of jobs. And then like its impact, its most big, its big impacts come from very basic things. And I think with AI, AI is going to create tools we didn't have before that will make a lot of basic tasks, a lot of tasks that were maybe tiresome, a lot easier like spell checking or like fixing grammar on things for a game developer texturing models really fast like generating ideas for my level design like i'm not going to have the ai do the level design for me but i'm going to have it help like try shapes combinations out around for me or like build something quicker for me that's really tedious and then i'll like move its work and like organize it better with my own brain so it's kind of like an assistant. It's not a, it's not a thing that's doing everything. It's not developing a game for me. That's like I don't think AI is going to be that good. All right. Like, but I think it's going to help. Okay. I think it's going to that's going to affect every industry out there, in some way that deals with information processing, in some shape or form. It's not going to move dirt. <laughs> it's not going to build houses. But like, yeah, any clerical work or information related work, it's going to affect. Yeah. Okay. And there will always be war and, right. and peace. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite subject in school? Mm, not sure. Well, one of the things about being a solo dev is you do everything. So, like, you see value in math, you see value in storytelling. I think my, I think 
anthropology. There we go. Okay. That's a good answer. So like anthropology class, they that's based so anthropology, if you don't know, it's a study of humans. It's very it's a very holistic study and usually involves like figuring out why tribe in Africa or something has the customs it does, how'd that help them survive? Why do they dress the way they do? What's their genealogy look like? Why do they have why do they talk to each other this way? Like, why do they say an ant is north of your foot instead of in front of your foot or west of your foot? Like, why do they say things like that? Like, and through that class, it's kind of a mind bending thing, learning about cultures mm-hmm. and kind of understanding your own culture is kind of the reason why your own culture operates the way it does. And it gives you a broader picture of everything. And we had to do a lot of reading for that class, and the reading was always fascinating because it was like stories. One was a, a book about a Peace Corps uh, lady and her the stuff she did in the medical work she did in Africa, and just her her journey doing that. And like that was a fascinating book. And then there was one about another guy, like an anthropologist who worked. I forgot if it was Africa. Or, or South America or something, but he lived with some people and like became their friend and just lived with them, studying them and talking about their customs and like how he came to understand them. Yeah, that was fascinating reading. And that class, any class that like expands your understanding of the world, I think is always exciting. Yeah. yeah. Would you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? I don't know. I was just to say both. You're an ambivert. Um, ambivert? What's an ambivert? That means you're both. Okay. Maybe I like being alone. I like working alone. Like days when nobody's in this house. I like that I live in. I have housemates. For some reason, that's like calming to me. I, I'm always thinking about how people see me. Mm-hmm. It stresses me out a little bit. So I think that's why I like being alone. But then like, if you invite me to a party... Or I go to the game developers conference uh, to volunteer or something. I'm the person that walks up to strangers and asks them, what do you do for a living? And I just get them talking. And so that's kind of an extroverted thing to do. (laughs) But I also like being alone. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, that's kind (laughs) of like me when I went to the podcast conference. I always thought I was going to be this quiet, shy person. Instead, I'd walk (laughs) up to people and go, are you a podcaster or are you a sponsor? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I rem- yeah. I mean, I remember this one time. I'm waiting at the elevator, and the pod, the conference was in Vegas, and a bunch of people are all still waiting. And I just turn around and I'm like, "All right, make your bets. Which elevator bay door is it gonna open? Do I, do I hear five? Do I hear ten? Do I hear fifteen? Come on, come on, lay your bets down." And everyone started <laughs> laughing. That's cool. I I think when you I think like. A thing that happens when going to these conferences is you're suddenly like around. Yeah, that's like then the extrovert side of us really shows itself. Like maybe before we weren't around our people, but now that you are, you're, you're around, around like, like people. Yeah, you're yeah, more it's comfortable because like, everyone's doing what you're doing, so you figured everyone's going to be comfortable talking to you no matter what. Yeah, <laughs> I feel that way at the game developers conference. Yeah, all right. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be and why? Um, 
I think I'd want to be remembered as a storyteller. Okay. Like something I'm passionate about is like, Ooh. I think, you know, growing up as a Christian, you're in Christian culture, you know, it's people talk a certain way. And then when you're like around non-Christians, like when I moved by out of my family's town and worked in Detroit for a bit, I moved back though. Cause I like it here. <laughs> You know, I was around non-Christian culture a little bit. Advertising company had a little bit of a Christian culture in it, but like, I don't know, you just you just kind of, I was around a lot more non-Christians. And you kind of see, they don't talk the same way as me. The way they view life is completely different. You kind of see the ways where maybe it's like slightly better, but a lot of it's like a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, that results. But then also, we try and talk if you try and talk to them about your your beliefs and stuff you'll get kickback and it's valid kickback because you're this person with the agenda nobody wants to listen to a person with the agenda and nobody understands what you're talking about either i want to be known as a storyteller that can talk to anybody okay like at the heart that's why i want to be doing this yeah tell me about where you are now in life uh almost broke <laughs> currently on the job hunt so i context i was working on veil alter unknown for about three years off my like my own paycheck not paycheck but like savings okay so self-employed somewhere to like trying to hire me it is a good experience like i know a lot of things that a lot of people don't know <laughs> about game development so like get it get a job done but yeah you know, you, you do that so long and your savings get lower and lower. So I'm still doing all right, but just need to find contract work and pay the bills, work like a normal person. I'm excited about Vale. I'm publishing it to publish, or I'm pitching it to publishers right now. All right. And I feel like I if I have a chance to get this thing published, it's now. Game industry is in a dark place right now. A lot of people are being laid off right now. So, I don't know if the pitching will go well if I need to try again next year. But we'll see what happens. Okay. That's where I'm at. All right. Yep. Now we get to the very fun part of the show. All right. Everyone wants to hear. So, let's get going. First, I want to remind people to please like and share this episode and subscribe. So, what is your favorite <laughs> word? Subscribe. All right. Oh, sorry, my favorite word. Um, I've never thought about this question ever before. I think since I'm making the game Veil Alter Unknown, my favorite word is Alter. Okay. What is because it sounds so mysterious? Right. What is your least favorite word? I have a good one for this, but I can't remember it. Oh, I remember. In college, I wrote this paper. I don't think it wasn't very good. But the word tolerate was very popular at the time. And I had such a problem with this word because so the idea of toleration is, you know, live, let live, basically, I think was kind of the idea people were espousing. Like, no matter your religion, your belief system, anything, we can live together. We can tolerate each other. And I think why it made me upset about that was because it's a good picture, but it's only like part of the picture mm-hmm. because there's realities where like people don't, there's things you can't tolerate. 
Or, like ultimately, if someone, the if if we if that were to be used everywhere, we wouldn't have a justice system. We we wouldn't have penalties for killing someone. We wouldn't have penalties for stealing. So like there there's a line somewhere, and the reality is like even for stuff where you don't need a justice system, where it's just bad life decisions, maybe there's a Maybe there's life decisions you make over and over again. You're like, I don't want to tolerate this about myself anymore. Like, like no more. Like, I'm not going to be this type of person anymore. Like, I think it's just the idea of like softness, mm-hmm. but that's where the story ended. I didn't like that. I think right now it's like diversity is kind of that word right now for me. So, like, and the problem with the idea of like emphasizing diversity is life's kind of a complex mix of both where it's like you need both diversity and homogeneity at the same time so like any kind of any kind of movement that's social where it kind of skews one direction it irritates me because it's like can't i just have the final picture where all things are brought together because the, the reality is like, you know, in game development, you work with game developers, people who have entered this space because they're interested in it. There's definitely elements you can learn from other occupations, but like, in some ways, we're not diverse, but otherwise we are diverse. Really? We have to be both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. What turned you on creatively, spiritually, and emotionally? I think my games are so Castle on the Coast is about arguments. Like the storyline is based on an argument where the bad guys turned out to be everybody. <laughs> um, but also the good guys turn out to be everybody. I think just understanding people, like seeing past their outward appearance mm-hmm. and behavior and kind of like asking yourself what's really going on. So they'll alter unknown. So Castle on the Coast is kind of psychological because it's about arguments you know and how and it's also about loss because the characters all lost their parents so it's kind of like the reason the argument happened the reason why they don't get along with each other is because they're dealing with the aftermath of losing their parents so veil is kind of also psychological but it's like a little more direct with the psychology and that you meet like a really scary character <laughs> and that turns out that character is not quite like the main character you play as this like innocent girl. Mm. It turns out she's actually has a lot in common with the scary character. <laughs> um, and, and that the, the scary character is like, you know, if you understood where he was coming from, you start, you start realizing this is trauma. Like this person's traumatized. Like <laughs> what, like something happened here and there's like history. And then, and I think that, yeah, that turns me on spiritually, emotionally. Yeah, just kind of seeing the true nature of things. That's that's right. Yeah, I was talking about I was talking about how to beef with these words that have like very good meanings, you know. But the common theme behind what I was angry about that I didn't like was I didn't feel like the big picture was being understood. Right. What? Yeah. So I like seeing right. yeah. what turns you off. Uh, I. I guess I could say the opposite, which is like shallowness. So like this is something I started grasping in college 
people say things all the time that they don't know anything about. And people always think they're the good guys. People kind of they like to complain about corporations and stuff and being all greedy. <laughs> and it's just, it's a very surface level thing. That yeah, surface level stuff turns me off. I I didn't like the little bit I watched about the recent Obi Wan Kenobi show turned me off because I was kind of like, where's the story? Isn't like I don't really see the story here that's happening. This seems very shallow. Like they're trying to organize these events to be visually interesting, but or like impactful, but there's no impact there because the story was missing. Yeah, I'm not as good at I'm not very good critique of story though so i don't i don't want to just complain about stuff curse <laughs> oh oh because uh, i like say hill yeah so that's my favorite curse word rain i love rain um chalk scraping i mean i think that that's a universal though <laughs> either green or blue yeah hmm I think if we took yellow and mixed just a little bit of green in it, <laughs> like the sickly green, yellow, uh, like yellow and green put next to each other, fine. Like kind of like a pea yellow. Like, ugh. <laughs> ooh, oh, I think I should have known the answer to this by now because I kind of dream about that a little bit. Like when I get fed up with game development, I kind of ask, what? What would I have rather been? I think maybe being a butler. Yeah, because the idea of being like this professional who has everything under control is kind of like serving someone. Yeah, the idea of being a support person. I always kind of like the idea. Surgery, like being a doctor that does surgery. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want people's lives in my hand. Because, like, what if I stayed up late the night before and I'm tired that day? What if, like, what if I'm just in a funk? What if I'm not constant? What if I'm thinking about something and just distracted? Like, I don't want people's lives being at stake there. Like, yeah, I'm a creative, loosey goosey person. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, welcome home, I guess. <laughs> hmm. I think it'd be pretty exciting to see my grandpa. My grandpa has a pretty dramatic story. I, I think I think this question's meant to ask who I want to meet that's dead now versus like something that's tied into my religious beliefs. So let me try and answer that question more. <laughs> um, oh, let's say Miyamoto died and went to heaven. I want to meet Miyamoto. <laughs> he's the, he, the inventor of he's the Designer of Mario and Zelda. Just wondering, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. My lines are the best. The stuff I'm gonna list off, most people have played already. So, Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild is like a massive success, but like that game got me. That game kind of brought it back for me. I was really disappointed in games for a bit, and then when I played that one, is like holy crap! Like Nintendo made an open world game that actually worked like this is it's beautiful like it makes me feel things i didn't feel before so that one one that's not as well known is outer wilds it's still well known but like not as well 
And I don't want to tell you anything about that game because other than like, it's about, it's about exploring a tiny solar system and jumping into a ship and like traveling from planet to planet. But like that game's all about like discovery. Like the less, you know, going into that game, the better. Cause then your mind will get blown a few times. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll get a link and I'll tell you the link verbally as well as giving you the link. So, uh, all right. So here's the link. It's my link tree. So, you know, it's link tr period e e slash Peter Lance Dev. And my last name is spelled L E N T Z. So Peter Lance Dev. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks.